Hello and welcome to On The Ledge podcast. I am your host, Jane Perrone. You got the questions, I've got the answers. Yes, it's a Q&A special. So if you've sent me a question recently, listen out because it might be the moment that you get your answers. Apologies, first of all, to Kev's Orchids, who is complaining that the BCSS song from Midweek Bonus Number 4 is now a massive earworm. What can I say? I've been singing it for days too. Whatever you do, don't listen to the Baked Potato song because that really will set you going. Thank you to everyone who joined me for the Facebook Live this past Wednesday. If you didn't catch it, you can watch and catch up on my Facebook page on the Ledge Pod. We had great fun discussing plants and also quite a bit of talk about tea and coffee for some strange reason. And it was wonderful to get the chance to acknowledge the contribution of every single one of my 200 or so patrons. Rachel and Bat Potatoes have become legends and Philip has become a crazy plant person this week. Thank you all. And I know I say this every week, but amazingly, there are still people who don't know how to do this. If you want to find out about Patreon, then the links are in the show notes. And you can also give a one-off donation via co-fi.com or via PayPal. As I said in the Facebook Live, if you're wondering what that all goes on, it pays for Kelly, my assistant, who does very useful things like responding to emails and setting up Meet the Listener and editing Meet the Listener and basically freeing up my time for other things. And it also goes on transcription costs, Things like hosting the podcast, which isn't free, hosting my website, which is also not free and paying for trips like the one I took to see Mercy Morris. And you'll also hear in an upcoming episode the interview I did on the same trip about aspidistras. So that money gets ploughed back into the show and just enables me to keep going week to week. So thank you to all those patrons. And it's fine if you're not able to make a financial contribution. I completely understand. One other thing you can do is leave a review on your pod app of choice, which is what PFINL did. And PFINL said, I love this podcast and have learned so much about my houseplants and some I'll never own. Just listening to knowledgeable, interesting people makes me happy. Great guests, great music and super soundscapes. Thank you, PFINL. That's a lovely review. So perhaps you could leave a five star review for On The Ledge and that will help other people find the show and also give me that warm and cosy feeling of smugness inside that I'm making a podcast that other people are enjoying. Oh, and I forgot to say when I was talking about the celebrating the patrons that also in celebration of my patrons, there is 20% off everything in my merchandise shop today and tomorrow. That's April the 10th and 11th, 2020. So head on over there. It's easy to find. Just go to my website and in the top right hand corner, there's links to various things. And there's one called shop. If you click on that, you'll head on over to my shop on Spreadshirt where you can browse through a lovely selection of hoodies and mugs. They feature either my logo in the monochrome or the green version. And now you can also get the Jane and Wolfie design from my Patreon Christmas card if you fancy the idea of having that on a T-shirt or a mouse mat instead. So now's the time to treat yourself. Several people got in touch about bamboo emojis. 
after last week's emoji episode. As I predicted at the time, I was woefully ignorant about these particular emojis. So as a result of your wise contributions, in particular Amanda and Megan, I have now updated the show notes with details about the bamboo tower emoji, as I think I called it, which is actually a Japanese karamatsu, which is made of pine leaves and bamboo shoots and used in Japan to celebrate the new year. Um, The other bamboo emoji is the Tanabata tree, which is a wish tree uh, which Japanese people hang wishes written on paper as part of another Japanese festival. So that was great to learn about that. And I'm hoping that before long we can get the monster emoji added onto that roster of plant emojis. Won't that be exciting? Right, without any further ado, let's get on with the list of questions. And I managed to rope my son Fred into reading out a couple of the questions for this episode. He's a bit shy and his voice is a bit quiet, but he wanted to do it. So first up, we've got Fred with a question about a string of pearls. Okay, Fred, are you ready to read the next question? Yeah. I this think one comes so. from Cody. Can you read Who's Cody? Cody. She, she or he? I don't know if it's a she or a he. Cody Sailor. I think it's. Oh, here a girl. we go. She's helpfully put pronouns. She's a she, she's a she. So we know that she. she's a she. Cody's question, please. Okay, I recently bought a very small string of pearls, and it's not looking good. It has shriveled on the underside of one strand and near the base. Well, I'm wondering what I've done wrong. I have a big south-facing window. No, no, you need to go from, start from, I've been watering it lightly. I've been watering it lightly as it is winter. I have a big south-facing window that floods my apartment with light. The pot is well-drained. Every time I poke it, it has a bone. Am I not watering it up? It's been on my kitchen counter. Perhaps it is too high and those parts of the plant are not getting enough light. Uh, oh, oh, no, no. Yeah, that's it. Okay, thank that's you, That's it, lasses and laddies. I'm afraid I have no rational explanation as to why Fred has decided to start doing a Scottish accent on occasion. But there we go. Anyway, I hope you got the gist of that. Cody's got an issue with her string of pearls. It's looking rather shriveled, and this is a really common problem with this plant, particularly over the winter. She's helpfully sent some pictures, and I can see it's in quite a small plastic pot. Cody, your picture is one that I have seen repeated and repeated and repeated all over social media. Lots of people experiencing this kind of problem with their string of pearls. And that compost issue that you identified, the fact that whenever you try to water, it's bone dry. Well, this is a bit counterintuitive, but usually the problem lies with the potting medium on these plants. And the reason for that is that oftentimes there's quite a lot of organic matter in there. Often it's peat or coir. And what happens is that's either overly moist and providing a bit of a claggy atmosphere around the roots of the plant, which for a plant like the string of pearls, Curio rolianus or Senecio rolianus, and as it was known until recently, that is a, not a good place to be because it grows in places where its roots are not in that kind of environment. They're not in heavy, wet soil. Um, and then the peat or the coir dries out incredibly quickly and is bone dry and that the plant also doesn't like. So what can you do? Well, what I would do straight away, Cody, is 
unpot that plant, take it away out of the pot and knock off all the growing medium that's around the roots and repot into cactus and succulent compost. You can just buy it off the shelf. If you have a little handful or two of something like perlite or grit that you can add, that will be beneficial. If you want to make up your own mix, you can use a 50-50 mix of some kind of drainage material like perlite or grit and regular houseplant compost. And that way you'll get a really free draining uh, mix around the roots and that means that the roots will be getting the moisture they need which in the case of, of the winter season is not very much at all and then when spring comes you can start watering more and the roots will the water will drain away from the roots quickly won't hang around and your plant will be a hundred percent happier do go and take a look at the Instagram video I did for Perone's plants on this plant, which explains in a bit more detail how to look after it. I also recommend using a terracotta pot for these plants because, again, it gets air to those roots. The pot is porous and I just find that incredibly helpful. Sounds like sunwise, maybe it needs to be a bit nearer that big south facing window if you can get it there because this plant does like lots and lots of light. Okay, moving on. Well, the next question was entitled Avocado Root Query from Laura. And Laura's a relatively new listener. She's going through the back catalogue and is enjoying that, which is great to hear. And she's been growing lithops from seed and has really enjoyed the experience and has sent me a wonderful picture of the babies, which they are just the most adorable babies, aren't they, lithops seed? So well done for that, Laura. And Laura also enclosed a picture of the problematic avocado. It's doing so well that it's provided a bit of an unusual problem. When the avocado pit or stone starts to germinate, it kind of splits open and this amazing wizened root comes out and it does tend to grow slightly crazily. So in, in Laura's case, it's growing up um, over the top of the tip of the stone, the top part of the stone, which should be uppermost in the compost when you plant it and sort of back on itself. So Laura's wondering how on earth she can plant this thing. If I can offer reassurance, Laura, generally roots will find their way once they're in contact with the soil. I appreciate that the root of this plant is reasonably fragile, so it's not something you can kind of manhandle into a particular position. So really, you've just got to let it do its thing. With any seed, you need to plant the seed as a guide, at least the same depth as the depth of the seed itself if that makes sense so if you've got a seed with a diameter of one millimeter then you'd sow it one millimeter deep under the growing mixture if it's like a, an avocado seed and is you know maybe five centimeters or four centimeters in diameter then it should be sown that depth underneath the soil in other words when you put your avocado stone into some soil that root should have space to nestle on top, still be covered with compost. If you can just get it under the surface and that will be fine. The plant will find its own way then and realise which way is up and which way is down. They are incredible things. I mean, and if you do lose a little bit, it's not the end of the world. I mean, this avocado stone is 
you know, got lots of resources inside it to keep it going in those initial stages. So provided that you don't let the soil dry out, then you will be absolutely fine. If you want a bit of an insurance policy, you could always stick a plastic bag around the newly potted seed so that it's got a bit of extra help in terms of air humidity for the first few days. But that's exciting, Laura. I'm glad to see that your growing exploits are going well. Right, back to Fred for another question. I'm here with Fred. Hi, Fred. Hi. And we're going to read out a question from Chelsea. Chelsea, can you read out this question? No, you're not Chelsea, you're Fred. <laughs> Fred, can you read out Chelsea's question nice and loudly for everybody listening? I'm hoping you can give me some advice on a Norfolk pine I picked up over the holiday season. I've moved it around quite a bit in my house, found a sunnier spot for it once I noticed it was looking quite curled in on itself and I've been watering it for the past three days. Seems to be quite thirsty. Maybe you could tell me what number on my moisture meter it would be a happy step. As well as running a humidifier next to it. It's looking stiff and some of the branches are real crispy instead of soft. I'm wondering if those stems coming out of the soil that have gone all crispy should be hacked off. The plant doesn't have to support dying branches. A little bit of browning on smaller lower branches as well. I'd love to revive this beautiful plant to its elegant drapey shape once again. Help please and thank you. I hope you got most of that. Fred sounded like he was falling asleep there, but I think he was just a little bit shy. So Chelsea has a Norfolk pine, which is looking rather miserable. And I sent some photos of said miserable pine. I am not an expert on these plants. So I asked Lisa Eldred Steinkoff, who's been on the show before, for some advice about this plant. And I recorded an interview with her, which unfortunately does not seem to have survived the filing system, which has been <laughs> my filing system, which is obviously completely inadequate or that or it didn't record in the first place. So I will condense down for you Lisa's advice, which in fact is quite succinct. Your Norfolk Island pine is dead, Chelsea. I can't sugar the pill. I'm afraid that is her verdict. It is too brown and crispy and it just isn't going to recover. And this is the problem with growing these trees in your home. It's not like growing, I don't know, a, a load of mini parlour palms in a pot where one little seedling might die and you can sort of pull that out and recover the rest. In the case of a big tree like this, once it goes, it goes. And Aracaria heterophylla, as this is known in the full Latin name, it likes cool and it likes loads of light. And if you are keeping this plant in a regular temperature room over the Christmas period particularly then it's probably going to suffer quite badly. It's really a plant that would be better off in a big airy you know minimally heated conservatory or something like that. I have seen incredible specimens of these online but generally they are being grown in places where as I say the temperature is not a steady 20 degrees celsius all year round. It is documented to have an issue with losing branches. And, you know, if you have one branch that goes brown and crispy, then you can probably get away with it. But when it's more or less the whole thing, then that really is a death sentence for this plant. 
I suspect the problem here is a combination of those two factors that the that the air is too hot and dry and also the compost has been allowed to dry out for too long because they really do object to that in a way that lots of other house plants wouldn't. The pictures you've sent Chelsea it just looks like a, a regular Christmas tree that's outstayed its welcome in the home and got that kind of dull dry brittle look that they have when they really are beyond saving so as I say I'm really sorry this is not going to be one that I think you're going to be able to revive. Uh, if you've got a lovely really glorious Norfolk Island pine at home perhaps you can send me a picture and any tips that you've got for growing this plant because it's a glorious plant but it does seem to be one that lots of people struggle with as I say uh, I haven't grown it myself but those are the tips that I've garnered from Lisa and I hope that Chelsea perhaps you can give it another go with a fresh specimen and find somewhere a bit cooler you know the other issue could be that you've just been watering it too much and it's waterlogged and as regular listeners to the show will know waterlogging symptoms can look very much the same as dried out compost symptoms so have a look at the root ball if you want to do a full autopsy Chelsea but I'm afraid it's RIP for the Norfolk pine I mean of course we may be wrong you may now send me an email Chelsea to say it's revived beautifully and I, I cross my fingers that that's the case but uh, I fear otherwise that I'm the bringer of bad news but as we always say on the show you know we all kill houseplants and that's okay this is how you learn have another go get back on your feet and hopefully you will have greater success next time, whether you choose another Araucaria heterophylla or a completely different plant. Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Okay, well, let's hope that we can be more positive in our response to this next one, which comes from Hannah. And Hannah found this show via my appearance on a podcast called The Grow Guide Podcast, which I highly recommend, hosted by Dave and Maggie. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. And here's Hannah's question. I found one of my mum's old African violet pots in the shed and I was wondering what else it could be used for. I'm not a big fan of African violets, but I do love the pot. It's a three-inch, two-piece clay self-watering pot. The outer pot is glazed and meant to hold water, while the inner pot is porous to hold the plant. Specifically, I was wondering if this pot would be suitable for ferns, calatheas or stromance. Great question, Hannah from Canada. These pots, if you haven't come across them, they're traditionally used for growing African violets. It's kind of a more formalised way of wick watering, where you've got water in the bottom being soaked up by the terracotta pot, uh, but the bottom is glazed so you don't end up damaging your furniture. They seem to be much more popular in the US than they are in the UK. 
And while you get these very traditional looking ones made of China, you can now get much more modern versions, which are obviously to appeal to the more modern aesthetic. So if you're looking for an African violet pot, you know, there is a one to suit every style. But what if you don't like African violets? What else can you grow in this pot? Well, I think it's a fantastic pot for a fern. Because ferns generally need that steady moisture around the roots without being waterlogged. And this is really what that pot will provide. So if you've got a, a maidenhair fern or, or a bird's nest fern, I would definitely give that a go in this container. Also useful if you're like me and you just sometimes forget to water altogether. And there are certain plants that you just can't get away with. And ferns are one of those. You can't get away with being a lax waterer with a fern. So, yeah, I'd recommend ferns. Calatheas and stromance, yes, definitely worth a try. I would wonder whether they would need to dry out a bit more between waterings. It's all going to be down to the potting mix that you use. I would say that calathea and stromance would work, provided that you make sure that the maybe the potting mix is a tiny bit more well-drained than usual, just so they don't have a, too much water held around the roots. I don't know about you, but I think I could do with a break. Let's hear from listener Carlana. Hi, I'm Carlana, and I live in the Caribbean on an island called Grenada, to be precise. I love plants. My friends think that I am a crazy plant lady. I live in a really small house, what we would consider a tiny house, based on the tiny house movement, which I absolutely love. And um, they seem to think that I have too many plants for the size of the house. Currently, my indoor plant count is at about 50. And I just love plants. I love the way they transform a space. I love the feel of, you know, going out into the world, doing my thing, and then coming back and still experiencing nature indoors. There's something very common and restorative about that. And especially in the times we live in with the quarantine and the isolation that COVID has brought about. For me, it's been quite a respite to have a space that is just so calming and soothing. So I'm really grateful for having that practice before this all began. Um, currently, I, like I said, I have about 50 plans and I'm always on the lookout for finding creative spaces to add more plants, so I do embrace the label of Crazy Plant Lady. <laughs> Question one. There's a fire and all your plants are about to burn. Which one do you grab as you escape? I absolutely shudder at the thought of uh, there being a fire and <laughs> my plants burning. But if I had to grab just one to escape with, I I would say I would grab my Ficus Elastica Ruby. Yeah, it would definitely be that plant. And I would choose this plant because it is such an impressive looking plant based on the sheer size and the foliage. I think that if I had to start again, it would be the one plant that would actually make a statement all by itself. So yeah. I'd go with the Ficus Elastica. Question two. What is your favorite episode of On The Ledge? My favorite episode of the On The Ledge podcast would be episode number four, I believe. Yeah, that's the one on growing microgreens. I really enjoyed it because it was something very different. Uh, it actually got me started 
in microgreens. So thank you for that. Question three. Which Latin name do you say to impress people? You know, interestingly enough, I I know the Latin names for all of my plants. I don't know the regular names. I find there's like a danger in knowing regular names for some reason because everybody has a different name for them. So I I just stick with the Latin names. But when I'm trying to impress people, especially my sister who thinks I'm annoying with it, so I do it by intention. I love to say Zamiococcus Zamifolia. And I'm pretty sure that I just butchered that day. Zamiococcus Zamifolia. Question four. Crassulation, acid metabolism or gutation? Definitely gutation. Question five. Would you rather spend £200 on a variegated monstera or £200 on 20 interesting cacti? Well, I think £200 is way too much to spend on any one plant, especially when that converts to $800 in my local currency. So as much as I'd love to have a variegated monstera, I'd definitely pass on that. I currently just have one cactus plant in my collection, so I would be very pleased to spend that money on 20 interesting cacti. Americans say they love my accent, but Carlana, I could listen to your voice all day. Thank you so much, and it's great to hear that I've got listeners in the Caribbean, or as we British say, the Caribbean. I know, I know, we're always getting it wrong. I am still arguing to this day with my friend whose family comes from Trinidad about aluminium versus aluminium. So we'll leave that one there. Harriet posted a picture of her new philodendron birkin in Houseplant Fans and on the Ledge and was after some care tips or advice on this plant. First off, Harriet, I'm very jealous. This is one of the aroids that is on my wish list. I'm not a massive, massive aroid grower. I've probably got mm, about eight to ten aroids but this is definitely on my list and I'm not alone lots of people are searching after this plant which does seem to be slowly becoming more available if you haven't come across this one it's got kind of it's got the it, the leaf shape is not that exciting it's an oval but it's the variegation that catches the eye the dark green leaves are striated with cream in a rather attractive pattern and as the plant grows and matures, this variegation seems to be enhanced and enhanced until you've got this wonderful green and cream combination, which is gorgeous. So what can I tell you about this plant? Well, searching around for information in the usual sources I'd look for, actually, I've drawn a big blank. All I can tell you is that this plant is a newer hybrid, so it seems, although to be fair, some hybrids that have been around for donkey's years sort of come back into fashion described as new. So I may be incorrect in that, but it does seem to be one that has uh, been relatively newly developed. And I've seen rumours that it's come out of Thailand, which is obviously a great houseplant breeding place. The only information I could find about what hybrid it was, was on a Reddit thread, which was r slash aroids, which, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's hearsay, but it's an interesting source. 
And somebody from a nursery in New Zealand was asking about the name of the plant and what it was exactly it was a hybrid of. And somebody replied, I've read that it's a genetic mutation from a hybrid of green Congo and green Imperial. So that's well, I mean, what's that worth? Not a lot, but it does kind of makes sense that that would be the case. I'd love to know if anyone has more firm information on what the parentage of this plant is. But the good news is, whatever its parentage, it seems to be pretty easy to grow. So if you can grow a plain green Monstra Deliciosa, then you should be able to pull this one off. The usual caveats apply with aroids. They like lots of bright filtered light, not direct sunlight. Keep those glossy leaves nice and clean with regular damp cloth application and allow the mix to dry out between waterings and you should find that your Birkin does really well. And the final question for today's episode comes from Lynn who has a question about pots. If we pot on plants into new pots just a finger width bigger than the previous one how do we fill the space with compost without leaving air spaces please? And Lynn signs off as a Dr Heseon fan for 40 years. Well, I had to answer this question, Lynn, because you are a fellow traveller along the road of expertise that is Dr. David Hesseon. It's a very good question. So you're right that when you pot up, as we say, you're advised to make the pot size of the new pot just a finger width bigger than the previous pot. Obviously, it depends slightly on the size of the original pot. So obviously, if you're repotting a huge I don't know, Norfolk Island Pine or Ficus Lyrata, it might be more than finger width. And if it's something absolutely teeny tiny in a three centimetre pot, then it might be far less than a finger width. But, you know, it's a general guide. But you're right, when you have put the root ball into the new pot and you've got that finger width gap around the edge between the root ball and the new pot, how do you get compost in there? I have tried many different techniques and it's always a bit of a juggle trying to funnel compost into that narrow space. Sometimes I get a piece of stiff cardboard or or paper folded in half and I kind of have one end wide and the other narrow. So it's kind of like a half funnel and I channel the potting mix down where I want it to go. Um, sometimes I just use my hands. Either way, it's really important that you do this either in an old washing up bowl or on a plastic sheet because this job of repotting inevitably becomes messy. Um, you can get some kind of funnel, like an old jam funnel, which you could use as well if, if the hole is of a suitable diameter. It's worth saying you do want air in that those gaps. You just want a smaller pockets of air as opposed to big areas where there's no potting mix. Because, of course, what will happen as soon as you water is that the, the potting mix will settle down and it will appear as if you've got not enough potting mix in there anymore. So that can be a disappointing uh, first experience when you repot. Uh, so I tend to just feed that composting gradually uh, with my half funnel. And then as I'm going along, I'm tapping the side of the pot and jiggling it around just gently so that the compost can settle before I add any more. And this, I tend to find, means that any big air pockets that are there tend to be filled in by the falling compost that's being dislodged and moved down, sh shaken down into the lower parts of the pot. I mean, you may find even if you do your absolute best to do this technique that your compost will settle again and you do need to add a bit more. But this jiggling technique does mean I'm doing it. <laughs> you can hear me doing it as I'm talking to you. Little jiggle with the pot just means that the compost spreads itself around evenly right into that gap and you don't have a problem. I mean, 
Occasionally you do find with this technique that you end up adding more compost on one side than the other and the root ball ends up all skew-whiff as we say here in the... Do you have to say that? Skew-whiff? I don't know if that's a phrase. <laughs> Lopsided. In which case, you've just got to take it out and start again. There's no ways around it. Because I, one of my pet hates is leaning plants. When I'm putting up the Christmas tree, if it is not straight from every possible viewing angle in the room, including out of the window, through the window, looking in, then it's not right. So I cannot stand leaning plants. So I have to make sure it's straight. So for me, but you know, if you're more relaxed about that kind of thing, of course, you can leave the plant on a bit of a lean. But yeah, that's my technique, really. Just funneling the soil in, jiggling it about and making sure that it's not compacted. But at the same time, you're not leaving big air pockets, which will make it hard for the plant to draw moisture out of the soil. And also roots won't want to grow into completely bare spaces. They need to be growing into soil. So I hope that makes sense, Lynn, and that has helped you and you can get a bit of a jiggle going next time you're repotting. That's all for this week's show. Thank you to Fred for helping me with the questions, to Carlana for sending in her Meet the Listener, and to my assistant Kelly for all her hard work. Have a great Easter weekend. Bye. This episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, Chiefs by Jazar, and Lonely Spider by Colour. All licensed under Creative Commons. See janeperone.com for details. <laughs>